in my opinion, that that is what punk is. It's like, be yourself, be true to yourself. Welcome to Nice Work, podcast of the Super Nice Club, where we are just trying to make the world, you know, 10% nicer by every means necessary. I'm your host, Todd Brilliant, and here's a cold fact. Husker Du was one of the great American rock bands of all time. Yep, truth, fact. If you haven't heard of Husker Du, it's cool, it's okay. You're probably, I don't know, either too young or you never got into punk rock or indie music when you were young. So a little background while you go to Spotify or YouTube or whatever you use and type in uh, Husker Du so you can, you know, dive into their super nice sonic glory after this podcast. Or, or during this podcast, if you want to like rock it on a different stereo system in the other room, give it like a theme, whatever. Husker Du, H-U-S-K-E-R-Du, D-U. Little umlauts over the U or whatever those are called. I don't think it matters for the search engine. So the band formed in St. Paul, Minnesota in 1979. Three members met on Tinder, Bob Mould, guitar and vocals, Greg Norton on bass, and Grant Hart also singing from behind the drum kit. Super talented. Uh, all of them, incredible musicians and people. Music writer Michael Azrod, uh, he said that Husker Du was the key link between hardcore punk and the more melodic, diverse music of college rock that emerged. He wrote, Husker Du played a huge role in convincing the underground that melody and punk rock weren't antithetical. I mean, where would Green Day without that, where would they be without that gap having been formed? Yeah. Anyway, the band also set an example by being one of the first bands from the American indie scene to sign to a major record label, which helped establish College Rock as a viable commercial enterprise, and then just launched all those arguments, you know, that a lot of people had in high school, like, oh, you signed to a major label, you sold out, you suck, you're no longer cool, whatever. Remember those? I don't know. They don't exist anymore because uh, I just, they don't. Anyway, so here's a sharp take that I agree with from music critic Jeffrey Himes, who said... I'd like to argue that the crucial band of punk rock's second wave was not Nirvana, but rather Husker Du. Nirvana sold more records and got more press coverage, but everything they did musically, Husker Du did earlier, better, and longer. Yeah, I know, I know, right? To the sum of you, that's them's, them's fighting words, right? But when you strip away the fame and, and the glam and the tragedy around Nirvana, a band I love, by the way, love Nirvana, um, there's some real truth there. There really is. And you'll find few in the music world who will argue that Kurt Cobain was a stronger songwriter than Husker's Bob Mould. Kurt Cobain was a great songwriter. Bob Mould, legendary. Just different levels, right? So uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk with Greg Handlebar Norton. Yeah, bass god of Husker Du. He's in the super nice house today. Um, Greg's sound, this is like raw, jagged, richly emotive punk rock bass style. And it really helped define an era uh, of sound, one that, that influences, I mean, maybe more than ever, the current torchbearers of rock. Um, when I say generic things <laughs> like richly emotive, I mean, you got to be able to mm, tap into and feel the power and truth of youth, that 
too many folks separate themselves from for all the wrong reasons. Uh, and it, that's just such a bummer. Anyway, so stay tuned as Greg and I bounce around. What we're going to talk about Husker Du's arc, Greg's personal career arc, um, not just as a legendary musician, but also as a legendary musician who put down his guitar for over a decade and picked up uh, a knife. Yeah, true story. But I'm going to let Greg tell it in just a second. Just a second, because first, 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 a couple bits of Super Nice Club news. I know you're waiting for this part, right? Okay. So if you want to brag up how rad the club is in your town, like your city, your little burg, um, we'll make a custom shirt for you. Uh, we'll put your city name on it and your longitude and latitude. Um, just check our website, superniceclub.com. They're super cheap, practically, practically free. <laughs> and, uh, you know, you can just... Make up your own city name if you want, like um, Xanadu or Bunky Town or Ninth Circle of Hell. I mean, just whatever makes you happy, whatever feels nice. Um, secondly, sadly, a little bit sadly, this COVID thing keeps sticking around, you know, mask up. And so our fall Bring the Nice Tour is on hold. Got a little ahead of ourselves, thought that we were going to come together as a society and, and kind of beat this thing back a little quicker. So it's still going to happen, just not this fall. Super bummer just means it is more time to make it super nicer. Yeah. Okay. Enough jibber jabbering. Let's do this. Turn off everything else, tune out the rest of the world, and drop in to nice work with Greg Norton. Greg, Greg Norton. Man, I'm so glad you're you're here with us. Hi. Welcome to Nice Work. Uh, very happy to be uh, invited to the Super Nice Club podcast of course of course i'm really delighted that you're on here so where are you at this present moment listeners don't get to see but i, I see you're in a, a space a basement maybe that's my guess with the stairs uh you are correct i am uh sitting in the basement of my home in red wing minnesota uh it's a bit cooler down here than it is outside right now you know Minnesota, even though we're way up north by Canada, it gets really hot and humid and it's kind of disgusting out today. So I'm just chilling in the basement. Most people, when they think Minneapolis, they think hot, humid, disgusting weather, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in Red Wing, which is right outside of Minneapolis. I've actually been to Red Wing. I have seen you there. Yes, you have. Yeah. That's that was... uh, where the boots are made. It is where the boots are made. Yeah, At least I've, they're still made here anyway. They haven't, haven't uh, moved the production off to China yet. So, Yeah, so you know what? Shout out to Red Wing Boots for keeping their production in Red Wing, Minnesota for the longest time. If you're out there looking for a pair of boots, I just think that's awesome. I don't know if they're still you know, a family-run operation or whatever, but there's always yeah, so much. Are, actually. are they? Yeah, I knew they were. There's always so much pressure on companies in the U.S. because of you know our, our relatively high relatively high labor costs and things like that to stay producing here and to keep making quality work boots. They're mostly work boots, I think. Um, yeah, pretty much. They're all uh, very utilitarian anyway. Yeah. So. so shout out to Red Wing Boots. Matter of fact, if you are in the Super Nice Club and you look down at your feet right now or your closet and you own a pair of Red Wing Boots, uh, text us, email us, send us a photo be honest. Don't just like Google it and get a picture. I want to see them on your feet. Uh, and we'll send you a little bit of swag. We'll send you some stickers or I don't know. I'll send you something. But send it to me for for uh, for getting behind Red Wing. 
uh, we want to give you a little bit of love. All right. That was a little impromptu out of the blue, but what the hell, you know, that's what the podcast is all about. That was super nice. All right. So take us back now for those uh, weirdos out there uh, who don't know who Skirdu, your band, and, and we won't spend too much time, folks, in the Wayback Machine here, um, but we do want to go back and talk about the, the the leap of faith that Greg took to start out uh, with a, a career in music, especially the genre that he was working in at the time. Let me see. Wikipedia tells me or somewhere tells me, though, that you were working in a record store when you met your bandmates. Is that right? Uh, that is correct. So uh, we'll, we'll go we're, we're going to Husker do about Husker do. We're going to go back to like 1978. I'm uh, working in a record store. I meet Grant, Grant Stillen, uh, who is the Grant Hart, the yeah. drummer uh, for Husker do. Still in high school uh, at South St. Paul High and uh, gets a job at the store and we become fast friends. We just, we both share this love of punk rock, which is just exploding, you know, on, on the record scene. Uh, start going to shows at the Longhorn in Minneapolis, which was basically the CBGBs of Minneapolis. Uh, saw a bunch of really incredible shows. We meet Bob at a different record store, which was on the McAllister College campus in St. Paul, uh, fresh from Malone, New York, in a brand new black leather jacket and uh, some chuck taylor all-stars and a flying b guitar and he and meets grant and says hey well uh you're playing the ramones i like the ramones too a couple of months later the ramones come to st paul minnesota opening up for foreigner the three of us are (laughs) planning to go to that show we stop at my house in mendota heights uh where i was living with my mother and my mom you know is like oh she's was always super nice so she was like so bob uh oh where are you from oh you're from upstate new york oh well are you gonna go home for thanksgiving oh you're not going home well what are you doing bob's like well i'm just probably gonna sit in my dorm she's like no you can't do that you're you're coming over here you're having thanksgiving dinner with us and i'm like uh yeah i kind of just like met this guy so okay whatever so so bob comes over has thanksgiving dinner with us uh, a couple of months later Grant and this other guy, Charlie Pine, are like, oh, we got to put a band together because Charlie just told the bar that we were at that he had a band. And the guy (laughs) gave us two nights uh, at the end of March. So Grant's like, oh, I know this kid at McAllister has got a flying B. So Grant picks up Bob, brings him back over to my house where Grant's drum kit is set up. And the three of us jam a bunch of Ramones tunes. Fast forward a couple of weeks, we, after learning three sets of cover songs. We played uh, our first three shows uh, as a cover band and uh, with the keyboard player. And then we basically dropped the keyboard player, started writing originals. Uh, as you know, in July of that year, we, we play our first gig at the Longhorn, uh, which is like our, in our opinion, so gig number four. Is this Actually, as no, Husker Du? Did, five, did you have another five. name back then, or were you were you already Husker Du? Uh, we were Husker Du right out of the gate. Oh, uh, you were. Okay. When when um, Charlie told the bar that that he had a band, he called us Buddy and the Returnables, and and uh, the three of us vetoed that right away. Uh, so anyway, we play at the uh, the Longhorn in, uh, on uh, July thirteenth of nineteen 
79 and and that was really the full-fledged birth of, of Husker Du and people hated us we sucked uh, but we stuck at it we kept playing we kept writing uh, Bob and Grant kept getting better as songwriters you know I mean all three of us wrote at the beginning but those two took off like at an unbelievable pace I mean Bob would write so many songs it was it was hard to we, we probably forgot as many songs as we ended up learning, you know. Uh, now, folks, this is the, the the legendary Bob Mould. So in case you're just wondering who oh, Bob yeah, is. Bob. Yeah. For yeah. those that, that don't know. And and this is somebody also you're obviously if you're not familiar with the band, you're going on to Apple Music, you're going on to Spotify or you're going down to your local record store. Ha. Huh? Uh, and checking out who's Du, but also Bob Mould. Uh, definitely a huge catalog of work. Great performer. Yeah. Worth so, worth checking you know, out. Bob. You know, basically the, the band started literally, I mean, 41 years ago now. So, mm -hmm. you know, Bob just put out a massive, literally a box set of box sets, you know, which I think is, was, was kind of funny. Husker Du put out a box set called Savage Young Du a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. And Bob's like, oh, yeah, I got that. Plus, I'm going to like turn it up to 11. And I think there are eight boxes in his box set. are there really oh my yeah, god distortion well i mean it covers 40 years of bob mole right yeah so uh the guy the guy's a phenomenal guitar player and and songwriter uh back in the early days i always you know we would be playing and i'd be just like looking over watching him listening to him play and thinking like i am so lucky i am in a band with the punk rock jimmy hendrix this is so fucking cool yeah, well, and you're no slouch yourself. I mean, you're you're a bass player who's inspired people for to this day. To this day, new musicians are saying, "Yeah, Greg Norton, who's Du inspired." It's how cool is that to all these years later still be relevant? Because that doesn't happen all the time in music. No matter you can be extremely ascendant and sell ten million records and really not be relevant ten years later. Here it is, forty years later, and you still have vibe. You know, it's, it's, it's funny that you put it that way. You know, it's like, you know, we started out, it's like, was like, like a trickle, like a, of a stream. Right. And uh, that turned into a river and, and, uh, and it just keeps getting bigger. Uh, Husker's influence today is greater than it ever was when the band was together. Yeah. Uh, our fan base is probably, I, I, I can't even guess how much larger it is. Uh, then at the time that we broke up and the influence just continues to go on and on, I am always uh, extremely grateful to hear from people uh, when, when they, you know, tell me that, that our band had an influence on them or our band changed their life or sometimes our band saved their life, you know, mm -hmm. and I'm just so happy that, that we were able to, you know, do what we did and reach people in a way that we did that, that people were like, you know what? It, it's okay to just be me and just do this thing. And, and really that's, that's what it's all about. That in my opinion, that, that is what punk is. It's like, be yourself, be true to yourself. Have you, amen to that, but I'm just curious, that record store location, have you ever been back there? Like in the last 20 years, is there like a furniture store there now? Is it <laughs> gone? Any idea that that record store where the, where the seed was planted? Yep. No, that, that store got torn down uh, mm. a, a while back. So uh, McAllister College is 
basically it uh, operates on an endowment from the uh, uh, I can't think of, of the woman's name, but the, it's the, the family that started Raiders Digest, I believe. Oh, and so they've got a lot of money and part of the endowment. They they need to reinvest in the campus, and so they're continually like buying up properties around the campus itself tearing down buildings and building new buildings so yeah the the building that cheapo records was in the original cheapo on grand avenue is is long gone i go back sometimes and i look at the old tower records that i used to work at i definitely get nostalgic for that time i actually worked in three different record stores a tower being one of them and it was such a I don't know. I, I, it, there aren't very many record stores left, so there aren't a lot of folks who get to have that experience now. But there's something really cool and almost uh, it felt kind of like a rite of passage in a certain scene. You had to work at a record store and the and the crowd and the input and the the new release days. I think it was was it Tuesday, you know, when when the new records would hit. And right. it just yep. there was a rhythm to all of that in the life. Oh, sure. Yeah. That was just, uh, it still had an impact. So I still feel it, you know, I still, I know my, my employee number at Tower was 49126. I mean, this is just a $4 an hour job, right? Why would it right. even matter all these years later? But somehow it does, at least for me. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. Uh, I mean, I started hanging out in, uh, in record stores like when I was 14, the, the first record store. Well, I had a job at a, at a movie theater as an usher and right next door was a little tiny record store called Three Acre Wood. You know, I ended up meeting a, a person that would end up being one of my best friends uh, for, for uh, most of my life. And uh, fortunately, he passed away from cancer about uh, 12 years ago. But mm. uh, the guy's name was JC and he played saxophone. He played percussion. He spoke like a beatnik he loved uh, all sorts of music turned me on to miles davis turned me on to you know uh, a lot of, of you know like the whole like nonsuch like series of or, or like smithsonian uh records where they would go out and record indigenous peoples yeah and, and, yeah you know the crazy stuff that they were doing and, and going like yeah that yeah, the Moog synthesizer doesn't have anything on these guys, you know, when you're, you're listening to like throat singers and stuff like that. And it just really opened up my mind. So this is also like 1971, 72, 73. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there were a lot of really good rock and roll records that came out 50 years ago, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was like, young and impressionable and, and just like ready to go. And, you know, I, I just feel that a lot of people are, are a lot of kids today miss out on having a local record store to go hang out at, you know, like you said, showing yeah. up on Tuesday where it's like, Oh, okay, well, what's new well, this just came out or, or walking in and it's like, wow, what are you playing? That is so cool. We're, we're just killing time and just flipping through the bins and just looking at records and picking them up and checking them out. You know, I mean, that that was yeah. a big part of my youth. It was, I know it was, you know, obviously a, a, a big part of Grant's youth as well. Uh, it was definitely you know, a thing. Of, it was definitely was a thing. It was definitely yeah. a thing for a lot of us. I don't know. Yeah. I, I had my my oldest son watch, uh, watch uh, the Tower Records documentary, All Things Must Pass, that was directed yeah. by Ron Howard's son. Came out a few years ago. Folks, I recommend it. I recommend it. Just uh, if you want to share that with others who don't quite get 
why that was important. And uh, it was, it, it kind of gets that across like the magic of flipping through records, you know, or yeah. CD cases. If it came after that, you're still flipping through them one at a time and, and pulling things out that look interesting as opposed to what do I do now? I have discover weekly on Spotify and I get like track random track from random artists once in a while. And it'll turn me on to stuff, but it's not as immersive. I, it makes me sad because I don't very often go through and do like a full album dive anymore. Well, that's, you know? that's it. It's like, and it's uh, a real bummer. It's a, it's know, a people, disservice people to the artist. The first five seconds of a song. And if they're, if it doesn't catch them, they bump it to the next track. It's uh, not to get too nostalgic about record stores. I was just in one recently in Belgrade of all places. And it, uh, yeah. was so well curated, really small one. It was also a bar. And uh, the guy yeah. who ran it clearly was an old school, you know, just one of those guys that knew as much about jazz as he did classical as he did punk yeah. rock. At, you I, know, I, one I, of those. I saw your post on Instagram. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm like, this dude's got to have a photographic memory or something because he just knows everything about everything. There's something to that, to be able to walk in and, you know, everybody's met record store guy, right? And record store guy knows everything. And it's such a cool community resource to me. Did you ever have a backup plan when the band was in full swing? Not to make a hard, a hard segue, but I'm going to, did you, when you were, you know, it's 1982, the band's in full swing. Was there still anything in your mind? Like, well, shit, if this doesn't work out, uh, I'm going to go do this. Well, uh, you know, actually probably up until 84, I was still working in restaurants. Okay. uh, Waiting tables. And uh, I was lucky enough to work for some, you know, family owned restaurants where it'd be like, hey, my band, we're going to go out on the road and I'm going to be gone for like four weeks. Is that okay? <laughs> like, yeah, that's that's fine. So I was lucky enough to like, you know, keep that day job. But through the whole time, it's like my, you know, it's like my mom would always go like, well, what do you, when are you going to get a real job? When are you going to get a real job? It's like, oh, got this band. Yeah, when are you going to get a real job? So when uh, we finally signed with Warner Brothers, the uh, the guy that, the attorney that drew up the contract and, and we did the big signing and my mom was there and he said, yes, your son is now gainfully employed. But, you know, it's one of those things and, and when you're in a band, it's, unless you're at a, like a certain level everybody's got a day job or a night job it's tough to to pay the bills until you hit a certain point and then you hit that certain point and it doesn't last forever for most of you right it right? doesn't last yeah. forever yeah. i was in a band called porcupine we did a tour with the flesh eaters and dj Bonebreak uh was playing vibes with the flesh eaters and talking to him and he's like and like when x got together i was like just out of high school and, and we, you know, and they hit it at a sweet spot where he's been able to just be a musician his entire life. And it's like, that is a rare thing, you know? Yeah. Um, I, I have not been a, a full-time musician my whole life. I've done all sorts of other things, but you know, like you say, it's like, you know, leaps of faith. It's like, you know, sometimes you got to do what you believe is the best thing for you to survive and, and to, you know, to take care of, of what you take care of. So. Along those lines, I read a quote from you along those lines. Um, and I think it's a great one because it's so just, it's so super nice club to me. And you said, I think for a lot of people that came out 
of American punk rock. They took that do it yourself and, and they learned how to get out there and do things for themselves. I don't know if empowerment is the right word, but basically I think it showed a lot of people that you can do this if you want to do it. And it's not as scary as you think it's going to be. I love that. Now, do you know if you were talking mostly about people in the American punk rock scene being musicians at that time, uh, that you guys showed that punk, you know, that Husker Du showed that punk was a viable path to a career in music, or were you just speaking about any career in general? Pretty much about anything, you know, okay. it's, it's, uh, just having faith in yourself and, and, uh, you know, being able to love yourself enough to get out and, 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 you know, forgive yourself for the mistakes that you're going to make and not get, get hung up on it. Uh, you know, really that, that, that whole thing came from a conversation I had with a, a guy named David Fallis, who, uh, he was, he was a punk from Tulsa, Oklahoma that was at our shows at the Crystal Pistol in Tulsa and was friends with the band None of the Above. And he went into journalism. He ended up, he now is, you know, he's an editor for the, for the Washington Post. And, okay. you know, and basically, you know, he was talking about, you know, it's, it's one of those things that, that he kind of took from, from the punk scene was that like you know you just get out and you can just do it you can believe in yourself and do it um, you know a lot of a lot of things that i've done in you know post Husker and, and up until uh you know rekindling the music career now is it's been you know like i don't really know how to do this but i'm gonna get in there and i'm gonna do it i'm gonna you know some people call it fake it till you make it but you know it's it's having faith in yourself and and um you know, I guess not overthinking it. Well, it is very I think I'm punk. overthinking it now, though. So. No, but it is it is very punk rock in that. And you're the musician, not me. But it seems like, you know, you, you didn't really like you said earlier. Oh, I know a guy with flying V. It wasn't like I know a guy who's a great musician. I just know this guy that has a guitar because you know exactly, in punk yeah. people were like, oh, I know a chord. Yeah, good enough. We'll figure it out. Right. A lot of these big bands, uh, Green Day, like they didn't really know how to play when they started. That didn't matter. They had a desire. You had a desire to get out there, make a statement, tell your stories and you'll figure out the music as it goes. And whoa, 20 years later, you're all master musicians. Right. Yeah. You know, it's it's um, interesting to hear it put like that, because I have a um, sometimes I don't I don't play as well with people that are better trained musicians mm-hmm. if that makes sense because it does. i i guess i don't think about the process so much as i i play what i hear uh, or, or what comes to me which may not be the same thing that somebody who is like you know a trained musician and music theory and is like well this is what the the time signature is and and all this I'm a punk rock bass player. What the hell? So yeah. Well, you know, you can have, and there are. I've heard bands that have Juilliard trained, you know, like vocalist or whatever, and it they try to get into rock, and it just doesn't work. Beautiful voice, right? But it's it's trained out of the ability to be a, a feel instrument in in the right. way that sometimes rock or punk needs it to be. Again, talking out of my uh, hee-haw here because I'm not a musician, but that's you know what it feels like. I also like, you went on to say in that quote, 
along these lines, you said, after the band broke up, I went into the restaurant business and learned how to cook and eventually became a chef and owned my own restaurant. And I think having that experience in Husker Du helped make that move. Again, that's so great because you had this experience where you, uh, I guess, faked it. You just let your, your, your enthusiasm be your big wedge, your big tool. And, and having success there, like, wow, I can do that in a different field. I love that. That's the heart of this podcast, really. That's the heart of this Nice Work podcast is just going forward and trusting your passion if you have the passion, right? And sometimes it's hard to recognize. You might be like, I don't want to admit that I don't have the passion anymore, right? Letting go of the thing that isn't your thing anymore. Did you ever have that with music where you're like, I stepped away because it wasn't as uh, the fire wasn't as big as say cooking? You know, uh, so I spent 14 years uh, without picking up a bass guitar at all. Really? When I, when I got into, wow. I mean, I took the deep dive into, you know, the, the seedy underbelly of, of restaurant kitchens. Uh, you know, and actually I think uh, Bourdain's book, Kitchen Confidential, really mm-hmm. kind of, you know, I, he really gets it right, you know, as far as what it's like working with a kitchen, like, he, like what's he call it, like working with your own pirate crew. Right. Uh, you know, it, it's it's one of those things when I when I got into that and yeah, I, I didn't necessarily think like, oh, I'm going to become this chef. I'm going to, you know, uh, have people like, you know, write rave reviews of my food or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, actually one of probably one of the biggest compliments I think I ever got was from Grant Hart when he, he <laughs> in an interview was said to somebody, it's like, oh, well, you know, Greg got into got into uh, being a chef, but like, you know, what he does uh, is sort of like what Husker did, Husker do did with music he's doing with food. I'm like, wow, that's high praise. Um, but there again, it's like, I just had a passion for it. I, I mm-hmm. you know, had a desire to, to learn and, and to delve into it and, and learn as much about it as I could. And, and, uh, you know, you, you don't really think that like, oh, well, what I'm doing is, you know, mind blowing or, or changing people's perceptions. You're just doing things to keep yourself happy and make yourself happy and go like, man, I really like that, you know, uh, and if it ends up making a bunch of other people happy too, that's, that's fantastic. Again, here I'm getting lost in my own thoughts, but. That's, that's the whole definition of Husker Du, isn't it? Didn't you just tell me that before we started recording this, it, it translates to a um, nostalgic reminiscing. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Okay. There we go. You're just, you're, you're perfect. Getting, let's, let's get, let's keep getting lost in these thoughts. Um, well, you know, and, and, and also, uh, you know, you'd also, uh, I wanted to say this as well. It's like, you know, if you're not having fun with what you're doing, then you're obviously not doing the right thing. Uh, and that can be hard to Husker admit du, to ourselves. It was always a lot of fun. And the three of us always said, you know, well, we're going to keep doing this until it's uh, not fun anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, probably, yeah, in 87, you know, the grind of um, touring for a major label and the demands on your time, uh, even though we still absolutely loved playing. And uh, but it was getting more difficult to 
navigate life as individuals and, and mm-hmm. maintain that that balance and that happiness. So, you know, in, in retrospect, it probably was time for for things to get shook up and, and, uh, and to move along. Uh, I didn't necessarily want to get out of music. It's just mm-hmm. that, you know, I lived in Red Wing. I'm an hour outside of Minneapolis. It wasn't easy for me to get back up there. Right. And like the restaurant business. So then, you know, uh, one, one of my, my closest friends who uh, talked me back into uh, the back of the house and working in the, in the kitchen is uh, a chef named Lenny Russo. And Lenny is, he's like one of the top chefs in the Midwest. He's been nominated for, you know, James Beard awards like numerous times and, you know, but, but he also has, had that same passion for life and you know we were just really good great friends so it's like yeah i'll go work in the you know wash dishes in your kitchen and and then he taught me how to cook and it just went from there it's um, all of a sudden i'm like running a, a kitchen and I'm like, yeah oh. then i have to write a menu i'm like okay uh you know so for, for a long time then you feel like well i'm just like a little tiny baby chef and uh, you know baby chefs grow up I continued to have a lot of fun and, and then it, it eventually got to a point where it wasn't fun anymore, you know? And That's how we met. We met because uh, if I recall correctly, correct me, but I believe we met because you bought some Rochambeau wine for your restaurant. You brought some in, right? Yep. And I don't, I think you bought it from our, from our distributor. I hadn't met you in person at that point. That's correct. Yep. Yeah. So, so, uh, so he, he, you know, and, and this was probably a uh, all kind of a like a way to, to get me to buy the wine, but but he basically was like, "Hey, you know, uh, you're like one of the tastemakers on the scene, and this is new, and blah blah blah." And, and uh, but you know, he showed me the wines. I thought the wines were really great, and then he, you know, it's like told me your story about you guys were just getting ready to open up, you know, the, the winery, and uh, I'm like. Oh, and then um, I think you guys sent me like a postcard saying like, hey, thanks for buying our wine. We're going to have our opening in March of 2000. Yeah. So I, I got that. I called up uh, my sales rep and I'm like, well, I think you and I should go out and crash that party. And I think you guys, I think, you know, uh, the company should pay for it. And he's like, okay. <laughs> really? I didn't know that. Oh yeah, so, oh, that's so great. He, he got it cleared. The two of us flew into San Francisco, rented a car, made our way up to Healdsburg, and uh, crashed your party. And then, uh, yeah. And, then and I'm so glad there. you did. I'm so glad you did. That's where we met. You met my dear friend and writing partner, uh, Corey Ficken, there as well, um, yep. of, of the and, Swords and Project. Actually, uh, uh, watching uh, them play mm-hmm. in... Uh, the barrel room was yeah. one of the coolest musical experiences that I ever had. Really? I, I, that's oh, yeah. so cool to hear you say that because it was for me, but it was because it was like our winery. These are my good friends. But I was also just like, wow, it's just such an incredible backdrop. This music is great. Is it just me being biased or is this amazing? Oh, um, totally amazing. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I'll pass that. I'll pass that on. And then we came out and visited you and staying on the the nostalgic side 
remember, I don't know if you remember, but you walked me around, you gave me this late night tour of Uptown, you know, the old Minneapolis music scene. Uh, you showed me your star, which was uh, with Prince's star on the outside of First Avenue, Husker du star. Yeah. That was just a great night for me. Now, I haven't forgotten it. I think about it whenever I think of Prince, which is actually a lot because you, you know, I'm a huge Prince fan. I've seen him live yeah, a absolutely. number of times. And I mean, I'm a Prince fan from back in when he was doing that, that, that jam stuff in like 77 in Minneapolis, which is a whole different sound, right? Oh yeah. Um, yeah. Minneapolis in the late seventies was incredible musically, wasn't it? Oh, for sure. Yeah. So what Minneapolis musician from way back do you think gets overlooked the most? Who, who are people missing? I'm trying to set you up for a band here, but I don't know if you're going <laughs> to, if you're going to bite. Uh, wow. Who is overlooked in Minneapolis? Oh, that's a good question. Bob Dylan. No, just kidding. <laughs> I was going to slap you. <laughs> I yep. was thinking of a band that you sent to me that blew my mind recently. NMB. Oh yeah. 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 NMB. Yes. Yeah. I, all right. It didn't roll right out of you, but that's okay. I put you under the, under, under the, uh, under the gun there, but would you was that fair answer one of the one of the great overlooked bands yeah uh i would agree with that you know the thing with nnb so they you know they moved to new york early yeah, on that's and, true and then yeah. they, they you know kind of ended up breaking up but um you know actually just a couple of years ago at the cedar cultural center in minneapolis i i met a woman that was like oh i have this uh this video uh, or this film uh, footage of an interview I did with Husker Du at the record store Orfolk uh, talking about NNB and all we did was like you know uh, we didn't actually show you guys we just like filmed your feet and I'm like oh I totally <laughs> remember that I totally remember that afternoon and so they were uh, she was working on a film about NNB mm -hmm. I don't think it ever came out and um, I need to try to figure out how to get a hold of that person because it's their their story needs to be shared. They were such a great band. Slack, I think, is one of the, the best uh, singles that it's, ever got released out of Minneapolis. It's fantastic. I should remember to include a link to that in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Not to get off of the greatness of Husker Du, but let's let's show love where love needs to be shown, right? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Hey, love is all around. Uh, so do you feel like Husker Du left anything, any great stories on the table? Were there some great records that, that would have come out or did you, did it play its, did it play its, uh, its hand? I no, I, I think, I think, uh, we, we barely got to where we could have gone, you know? Okay. Uh, you know, it, it's when you look back on it you know initially bob was upset because grant had another band on the side and now nowadays it's like you know if you're not participating in like six or seven bands it's like you're a slacker on the music scene it's like right you know, you know it, it was there was there was the uh the battle of the egos the um you know who's, who's going to be the top dog in the songwriting i mean i i basically backed out of songwriting because i didn't want to you know, fuel, you know, uh, I just felt that, that, you know, when I, a lot of times I, my material wasn't taken as seriously, 
you know, it, it's, you know, it's like George Harrison saying like, Hey, I thought my guitar gently weeps was a great song. And John and Paul gave it 10 minutes in the studio. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm not, not saying that I'm George Harrison or anything like that, but right. Uh, you know, it, it was just tough to write music when you, when it didn't seem like the other people were taking it as serious as their own stuff. But then on the, the flip side of that, that it's like, Oh, well, you know, people feeling like, Hey, well, you're not bringing your best stuff to the table because you've got other things going on. And I, like I said, it, it probably was the right time to, to, for things to part, but things could have been, I think could have gone better. could have gone for a long time, but you know, uh, the band started out as three friends and, uh, an equal share in everything. And, and eventually it got to a point where, where people, felt that their contributions were maybe worth more than other people's contributions. And then, uh, you know, you start getting funny with uh, the money and, uh, um, you know, then, then there is an imbalance and things aren't equal. And then, I don't know, too many, too many bands, I think, end up down that same path. I always tell young bands uh, when I meet them today, it's like, as long as you're having fun and as long as no one in the band believes that their part is worth more than the other some parts of the band that you mm-hmm. guys are Yeah, you pretty much described the story arc of every episode of Beyond the Music, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's, I know. I just know it's a really difficult thing for a lot of bands. It, it really is. Um, uh, we talked to... Uh, a couple members of the killers a while ago on, on this podcast. And, you know, early on they set up where they, they divided everything equally. There are four members. They all got equal one quarter shares. And a lot of that based on this knowledge that, that bands, you know, when it comes to points, when it comes to, you know, uh, there, it, it's very easy for there to be a perception of unevenness, especially when it comes to money, right. And royalties and things like that. So when they set it up, it was all just, and as far as I know, to this day, it's still that way. Maybe not. I don't know. But that kept them uh, running, you know, it's kept them running for, for, for 20 years now. And that's that's another smart thing to do is to get a good lawyer when you're getting going and and make sure that everybody feels that they are getting their their fair share. So you can just focus on yep. on making music. Yeah, our, our, our REM had that same setup with the four of them, uh, you know, and, and uh, Rush also, those three guys, it's, you know. An equal equal share you know, and those like, are bands that lasted a long time yes yeah greg on to the exciting stuff because you have some really really musically amazing stuff coming up really quick so you went your bands husker du gray area uh shotgun rationale porcupine gang font did i miss any bands this is yes. your chance to lead into who'd i miss well, well, actually, you, you missed uh, uh, one one band that was a uh, improvisational rock band called Conqueso, but that like was, like with cheese. Yeah, exactly. Oh, okay. Uh, and uh, <laughs> that was uh, basically about the same time that Gang Font started uh, in like two thousand six, two thousand seven. Okay. But anyway, uh, who else but, did I miss? Yes, uh, but you know, after you know, Porcupine was like the latest thing, and yeah. that kind of. You know, the guitar, uh, uh, Casey, the guitar player, decided to take the band in a different direction, which is fine. It's his band. Um, 
And uh, so that kind of, you know, cut me loose and um, had an opportunity to jump up and, and do some stuff with the Posies, uh, which could be a future collaboration as well. But, uh, but really what happened was uh, this uh, guy named Finney McConnell from uh, this band called the Mahones called me up and said, was like, hey, let's start a punk rock super trio uh, with you, me and Jamie Oliver from the UK subs. And I'm like, yeah, okay. I always wanted to be part of an international punk rock trio. Yeah. And what's that band? Uh, we are called Ultra Bomb. <laughs> Ultra bomb, um, all one word, right? All one word with the uh, the B, capital B for bomb. Yeah, is is the second B backwards or anything cool like that? Oh, oh no, uh, no, <laughs> we weren't that clever. So, so ultra bomb is the new thing, and this is brand new, right? Like brand spanking new. How 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 far back does this ultra bomb go? Uh, about two weeks. Yeah, you made it happen like in a weekend. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Like uh, we decided like, yeah, let's do this. And uh, before the weekend was over, uh, we, we had a um, uh, European uh, uh, booking agent. We had a record deal. We had uh, pretty much everything all set. We still hadn't picked the name yet, but, uh, you know, by the end of the weekend, we just settled on Ultra Bomb and and uh, now we've got uh, gigs lined up in Canada and for November and uh, next spring we're we're gonna do uh, some dates in Ireland and uh, the, and uh, Scotland and the UK, uh, starting in Dublin, uh, Belfast, okay. I believe Glasgow, Manchester. So are you protesting shows, the, then London, the U.S. dates? What because of Afghanistan or something? What, what's what's happening? Why not the USA? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, oddly enough, in the USA, every every uh, club is booked until uh, late next year. So, <laughs> is it? Uh, are they really? Well, I would imagine most. Is of that them a COVID because, catch up? Uh, yeah, trying to catch up. We yeah. are planning on um, uh, doing some. Our, our first shows in the U.S. will be basically a year from this September. We're looking at at doing East Coast like starting somewhere like maybe Boston and doing a run and finishing in Minneapolis. Yes. Uh, of all places that that'll be our, our band's debut in, in my hometown. Uh, and that'll be September of 2022. Uh, okay. But uh, you know, and then next um, the plan for next summer is, is uh, there's so many like great festivals in, in, uh, in Europe. I mean, that's, yeah, that's the plan. Just go and play festivals and have a good time. And oh, so, how great! What what can yeah. we expect? What kind of sound are we? Are we throwback punk rock or or what's you know we do a math rock? What's what's it going to be? Do you have any idea yet? I mean, you guys haven't gotten together to play at all, have you? Uh, well, we haven't gotten together to actually play together yet. We're already writing music. But you're, you're writing music, so, sending it. Yep. Yeah, writing music. You know, we we want to have fun. It's it'll be punk in spirit mm -hmm. for sure uh probably uh i don't think it'll just be you know one two one two uh as mm -hmm. far as the beat goes but uh it's not going to be math rock though either so will there be any didgeridoo uh, i i i'd never say no to a didgeridoo <laughs> that's going to be the lead quote that's going to be the audio outtake that starts this podcast i think <laughs> okay well you know 
as a Husker do, I could never say no to a didgeridoo. <laughs> Uh, that's exciting. A brand new, uh, a brand new super band called Ultra Bomb is in the works. What, what super nice label can we thank for signing you guys? The oldest independent record label in, in uh, Canada, which happens to be a super nice country called Definitely. True North Records. True North. Okay. Yes. Got to I'm still working on finding mine, but I want to talk, speaking of the North, I want to move a little bit back to Minnesota, though, because I just have these questions on my mind. Um, don't don't kill me for this question, but what do you make of the line in the Soundgarden song, uh, Outshined, looking California, feeling Minnesota? Hmm. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure either. It's a listener, it's a, a, a super nice club member question. I just thrown it out there. Let's Let's work on it together. Let's work okay. on it together. So I'm going to so, take I mean, on, I'm going to take California, on looking California. So, What's that? So what is, what is that? It's like, you're all tan and like, yeah. you know, in shape, you know, uh, the hair is just blowing just right in the breeze. Got some sounds, cool sounds like me. Yeah. What are we wearing? <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, flip flops. Exactly We're wearing flip flops, right? Yeah, right on. Yep. We're wearing flip flops. Um, do we have gelled hair or not? I would say no gels. No, no gel. Okay. No. So flip-flops, good tan, uh, toned, but not buff. Is that a little Beach Boysy? Is that what you had in mind? Is that what you're conjuring? Or are you, or are you being more contemporary, like contemporary LA, like Melrose? Uh, I was thinking more Northern California, but. Oh, well, then you got to get into um, NorCal's more, what's that zip-up jacket? Patagonia's and. and oh, there yeah. we go. Okay, so that's looking California. Yeah, the puffers. And so what's feeling Minnesota? We're really stretching this out. I apologize, listeners, but we're just diving in. I have no idea what feeling Minnesota is. Is that like, damn, it's hot and humid here? This sucks? Uh, or, or is it uh, like I'm, I'm freezing? It's, you know, my, my eyelids are, are frozen open. Or, or is it like the, uh, the Minnesota nice thing where it's like, Everybody's oh. like super nice to everybody, but really they're just like not, but you know, it's all that passive aggressive bullshit or <laughs> I don't know. Wow. Okay. This is an interesting one. Cause now we can go with the looking California, which is sort of looking nice on the outside, but feeling Minnesota, which is being nice on the outside, but yeah, in different, I'm, I'm dropping it. I don't know. I'm thinking maybe, they're just saying like nothing with the lyric and, and we shouldn't spend any more time on this. What do you there think? You all right. All right. We're, we're yeah. going to, we're going to bag that one. Uh, anybody out there though, that has a really good take on what Soundgarden meant by looking California, feeling Minnesota. Maybe there's a more spiritual take that Greg and I are missing. Um, send it in best interpretation wins a super nice club shirt. How's that? How's that to, to, make something out of that muck that we just created, huh? Turned and it into I, a- I would, I would think that somebody should be able to, to make up some some good muck to win that, clear the yeah. muck up. Yeah, yeah, turn that into a giveaway. All right, yeah. got some gold there. Got to, we mined the muck for some gold. Ooh, keep it going. <laughs> also, Minnesota, climate change. I want to ask you about this since you're living there. Are people in your area, Red Wing, uh, are they moving? Are you seeing outsiders moving into the area because they're like, man, we need to get out of the South. Like there are, are there climate refugees already happening? Uh, you know, that, that's a good question because, you know, Minnesota, 
you go to the Southwest in the wintertime or you go mm-hmm. to Florida and you run into what they, what are called snowbirds and the snowbirds are people from, you know, the upper Midwest that leave because it's too damn cold here in the wintertime. Uh, I don't necessarily think that we're seeing a lot of people coming up here in the summertime because it's just as goddamn hot up mm. here. You know, it's, uh, you know, I mean, it's 91 degrees here today and it's, and plus it's humid. Uh, right. You know, Minnesota literally, when it comes to weather, is the land of extremes. It can hit 100 and it can hit 20 below, you know, so you're talking, you know, 120 de- degree swing in temperatures. You're a hearty people. Oh, yeah, sure. Right. But then again, there's probably a couple of dozen days every year that are just fucking perfect. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. This is why I live here. But uh, I don't know. It's uh, I remember seeing one of those climate maps going like, well, this is this is, you know, uh, uh, in one of the spots that they picked was happened to be Mendota Heights, Minnesota, which Mm -hmm. was where I grew up and they moved that uh, seasonal average. And I I can't think if this was supposed to be 2030 or 2040, but basically Mendota, the the average seasonal average of Mendota Heights, like uh, now will soon be like where Saskatoon ends. It's like, that's way up there. You know, it's, that's crazy. All right. So I'm hearing you're not seeing a lot of climate refugees yet. All right. That's, that, yeah, that's good to but, know. So that's telling me that, right. that but, I can still be on the vanguard. We know that eventually everybody's going to come for our water. Yeah. No, that's it. That's it. They're there and the upper peninsula. I mean, this is a conversation being had a lot, at least in my circles in California. Like, where are we going to go? But I'm in L.A. Everybody always says that. Everybody in L.A. is always like, where are we going to go? Um, I yeah. think it's a similar well, conversation. Lake Superior is beautiful. It is. It is beautiful in the pictures I see online. I've and, never been. Duluth is a, is a crazy, cool little town. I'm, I am in, seriously intending on coming your way, hopefully this year. I will let you know. All right. We're going to rip through some Super Nice Club insider questions so we can get you back to uh, writing songs for, uh, you know, your pals in Ultra Bomb. Well, let's see. Let's just kind of rapid fire. Let's go through them. Let's not dig too deep. Here we go. First one, Alec in Scarborough, Ontario. Did Joan River smell good? Uh, I, I, I didn't, I don't recall if she smelled good, but I know that Grant gave her a, a really big sweaty hug and uh, I'm not so sure that she thought Grant smelled so good. <laughs> Perfect. John in Santa Rosa. What was your first favorite wine? The first one that got you excited about wine or, or just your first go-to? Uh, well, the, the, the wine epiphany happened on, on tour in Houston, Texas after a show uh, with, with a, a friend who, whose father had been like a, like a Houston uh, district attorney as grandfather was like old Texas oil money and uh, he had inherited from them a wine cellar full of uh, first-class Bordeaux, mm. first-growth Bordeaux. 
And uh, after the show, we, we had a bottle of a 1980 Chateau Mouton Rothschild with the, the Marc Chagall label. And, uh, oh no, it was 1970. So, and, and it was 1970 vintage. And so this was like 85. So really the wine was just kind of hitting, hitting that sweet spot. Yeah. And it just blew me away. It's like, holy crap. I never knew wine could like be this damn good. And, uh, so that, that was like the wine epiphany there. Um, also, uh, just touring in Europe and, and having wine in Europe and going like, wow, this is actually pretty good. What is this? They're like, oh, it's just like the local stuff. We tried that on our next tour in the States. It's just like, oh, we'll just get us some cheap local stuff. And wine was so fucking awful. Uh, so yeah, it's, so anyway, yeah, the, the epiphany was 1970 Mouton Rochelle in, in Houston, Texas in 1985. There we go. All right. I'll see if I can pick up a bottle for you. Send it out as a thank you for uh, being on the podcast. Caitlin in St. Paul wants to know what you think about the impact COVID's had basically on the on the Minnesota music scene and if you think it's going to recover. Uh, well, it, obviously, it's been hard on, on everybody. Uh, I think that... Um, I think it, it is going to recover. I, you know, I think the, the Minnesota music scene is um, very resilient. Uh, they're, you know, it, it's a strong scene that's very supportive. Uh, you know, people, we're, we're going to figure out how to, how to keep it going. Uh, as far as I know, I don't think any venues have, have actually like, um, I haven't heard of any venues actually shutting down. Wow. That's great. So, you know, first Avenue is back uh, with all their properties. Uh, uh, you know, even a lot of the, the small venues, they're already back up and doing shows. So, you know, I, I think, I think the music scene in Minneapolis or in the twin cities will probably return uh, quicker uh, than the restaurant scene is going to. Seriously. Mm. Yeah, they're they're pretty interwoven though, right? They always are in every city. The restaurant scene and the music scene. The restaurant scene always hires the musicians and vice versa. They're, they're well, yeah, they just, share so much lifeblood. Right. Well, I was just gonna say it's like that's because that's where you get the job when you're not gigging is your waiting yeah. table for bartending and or or busting suds in the back back of the house, you know. So two more quick ones. One, uh Dirjoy in Boston. Greg, did you see Cruella? the movie, it has some random punk adjacent moments that are interesting for a Disney flick. Uh, we did actually watch that when it came huh. out. So I, I've, I've got a, um, a six year old and a um, five year old daughter and they wanted to watch it. So we, we, you know, popped the, for the Disney plus premiere access or whatever. And we watched it. They got bored with it right away and went in to watch YouTube on their TV and uh, my wife and I, uh, we finished watching it. I actually thought it was kind of entertaining. And, and, and uh, yes, it does certainly has some interesting stylistic um, takes on, on things. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd actually watch it again. So, Did you see Pig? I've not seen Pig. No, do you know what I'm talking about? The new uh, Nicolas Cage restaurant, Portland restaurant movie? 
Where yes, he, I, I, I know what you're talking about, and I absolutely want to see Pig because that just sounds too crazy not to check it out. Do not want to watch Pig. Yeah, yeah, no, check it out. I'd love to know what you thought. Uh, last one, Darwin. Darwin's a very talented musician in in Santa Rosa. Another one in Santa Rosa. Uh, he has a couple bands. He asks, states, "I love Candy Apple Gray." That's a Husker Du uh, album. Was there any intention for that album? What? were you guys aiming for what were you listening to at the time? You know, that, that, that's a good one. I don't think, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where flip your wig came out on SST. Uh, that mm. was certainly a record that could have possibly been released on Warner brothers, which might've been a better major label debut. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Candy Apple Gray was was definitely, uh, you know, the the optimism that that uh, Flip Your Wig presented. Candy Apple Gray was like, you know, the the opposite of that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't say I don't think we necessarily were trying to be uh, put out a difficult record uh, mm-hmm. just to go like, oh yeah, well we're on a major label now, but look, we still have our edge or whatever. We're right. Just, happen to be you know recordings are always snapshots of, of where you are at a certain point in time so and of course all time is is a distance traveled in space so i don't know what you want to think of that <laughs> i think it's an answer to darwin's question that he's going to be slightly frustrated with but that's all right darwin we love you um well you know he's a musician he can he can work it out in a song <laughs> That's your challenge, Darwin. We do that. <laughs> Write that song. We'll get it to Greg. I promise you. I promise you. That's a challenge. Darwin is he's prolific. He's a great guy. Uh, okay, so the super nice challenge. Something that people out there, this is how we wrap the show. Something that people can uh, do to make their world a little bit nicer. Do you have anything for anything for me? Do you have a challenge? Uh, a challenge to make the world a little bit nicer for everybody. Uh, all right. Uh, I would say love yourself. Don't be so hard on yourself. Uh, give yourself a fighting chance to, to, to be a better person. And, and you will be, you know, it's, uh, uh what's the, uh, Marcus Aurelius says, uh, don't, don't think, you know, what the good man does just be the good man. So. Amen to that. That is a lot harder challenge than it seems. Uh, to to forgive yourself, to be kind to yourself, to not beat yourself up for uh, whatever it may be, for not doing enough that day, for not getting enough done, for not being a good enough parent. We are hard on ourselves, really hard on ourselves. we're, We're always our own worst critic. All right. So your challenge is to just be nicer to yourself today and tomorrow. Make, make it a habit. Like maybe get up in the morning and look in the mirror and say, Hey, um, I'm awesome. Even if you're not feeling awesome. I like yeah. that challenge. Uh, Bob said the revolution starts in the mirror. He did. And it does. The revolution starts in the mirror. That's the mantra that we want to have be your takeaway from this episode. The revolution starts in the mirror. Pass it on. Pass it on to several people. Pass it on on your socials, whatever you need to do. But it's super true. We've got so much divisive stuff happening right now in the world. Um, I love this. The revolution starts in the mirror. And then the very last, Greg, do you have 
This is where you get to, to be the host for a second. Do you have a question for me? Any question? Uh, Mr. Brilliant. Um, I'm a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what, 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 uh, what did make you want to start the Super Nice Club? Uh, it was a moment that I had in my, in my backyard uh, some years ago. Because the Super Nice Club was just a, it was a hobby thing. It wasn't started as, a, as, as what it is now. It was a moment in the backyard. I was having a daydream. And in that daydream, this, this young girl was just frustrated with her church, of all things. And she was noticing all the hypocrisies within it, you know, and she said, you know, this is just dumb. I don't want to be part of any of these. I have these really elaborate daydreams, Greg. It's just, I always have. Um, I also have a degree in religious studies. So you put them together and I sometimes have daydreams about, you know, philosophical or, or, or religious topics. And she just said, you know what? This is dumb. I don't want to be part of any of this. I just want to start my own religion where all the other religions can, can be joined. She didn't even call it a religion. She just wanted to start her own club. And I'm just going to call it the super nice club. And all you have to do is be nicer. And I thought, wow, that is a great idea. How cool is that? Like, forget the, forget the, uh, the golden rule, which is sort of reciprocal, you know, right. be good to others. Cause they're good to you. Nah, just be nicer. Just, just simplify that. Cut the golden rule in half. Just do unto others. And so I thought that's a great idea. How easy is that? And I went inside, uh, stopped doing my gardening and my weeding, and I made that little logo that still exists, Super Nice Club, uh, just as a fun thing to do. That's all, just as a fun thing to do. And I put it on a hat, sent it off to, to Zazzle, which is like an online site where you can make you know just fun gear for yourself. Uh, I made a couple of them. I made one for myself and one for my my son, Justice, who you know was a teenager and didn't want to have anything to do with it. Right. And then the other, the second hat I, just I got met justice when he was a baby, you know, you did meet justice when he was a baby. Yeah. Anyway. And so the, uh, friend of mine got, got her hands on the, the second hat and then her friends wanted hats. And then within a couple of weeks I had, you know, had to order like a hundred. Then a couple of weeks after that, I had gone through a few hundred hats and uh, I was like, wow, people like this message. Even though there was no message, it was just a logo. I didn't have anything else behind it. And then I just said, oh, I've got something fun here to play with. Uh, and since I had been working for a nonprofit for the prior six years, I didn't really have a, I was then back in the corporate world. Uh, and I was like, God, this is a cool way for me to feel like I'm not just um, consuming, you know, like I can give back a little bit with this fun, super nice club. So then I started to dive into it a little bit and grow it into eventually what it is now. Awesome. Yeah. So it was, it was a daydream. Uh, and now it's a thing that is all that I do pretty much this and, and some writing and it makes me happy. And I'm, I'm a total hypocrite because I am not daily super nice at all, but, uh, you know, I'm trying 10%. That's my goal. 10% nicer. Well, there you go. Yeah. 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 Hey, great. Start somewhere. Yeah. Uh, you do where, and it's wherever you happen to be, right. It's, you yeah. might be the, the biggest jerk on the planet. If you are, you probably know that you are. So try to be a little bit less of a jerk. You don't need to be, you know, Gandhi overnight. Just, just uh, be a little less jerky. Respond before you react. That's, that's, a, that's a baby step that was a big one for me. Learning to respond, uh, not react. Anyway, Greg, thank you so much. I'm really excited about Ultra Bomb. Any idea when we're going to get a record or at least a single or something? 
Uh, we are, uh, like I said, we're writing right now. Uh, yeah. uh, Finney and Jamie are actually going to be laying down uh, uh, guitar and drums uh-huh. in a studio in Berlin in a couple of weeks. Believe we're going to try to wrap everything up in a studio in Toronto in uh, early November and try to get something out uh, before the end of the year. For the, oh, wow. It's like, you know, like really rushing things. But I think, you know, as far as like at least, you know, streaming content or or CDs, if people still buy those, uh, we could have something out by the end of the year and then like vinyl like next year. So, wow. Uh, and, Great. And the plan is also to have a second record ready to go in to coincide with our U.S. dates next September. Oh, OK. So that's a lot of music. That's a lot of music yeah. coming out. Great. Um, you know, do what you will, but you go in with your, your, you know, you're writing now too. Just with quick thought before we end, you know, you might go in and say, Hey, you know, we could do the super nice club theme song. It'd probably be a hit. Just saying, <laughs> I'm just saying, if you need like a pop ditty, like the super nice club theme song, do you remember the great, greatest American hero? Uh, yeah, vaguely. Yep. Yeah. That song, yeah, they, believe, believe it or not, I'm walking on air. That was the oh, number yeah, one yeah, song. Yeah. yeah number yeah. one song, you know, and, I, maybe maybe something like that could work for you. I don't need any royalties. Yeah, just throwing it out there. Yeah, that didn't land very well, did it? Uh, no, I, I liked it. Did it. Oh, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. Great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Greg, thanks, man. I will see you. I'm going to say this with certainty. I will see you within uh, the next six months in in Minnesota. All right, man? Oh, great. Awesome. And uh, until then, stay nice, my friend. Yeah, you too. Super nice. So there you have it, a super nice conversation with Greg Norton, one of my musical heroes, and I hope one of yours. If, if you're a Husker Du fan, obviously, if you're not, go check out the band. Check out uh, Ultra Bomb. Check out all his bands. Check out everybody's bands. You know, Bob, Grant, Greg, just dive into that whole creative stew that keeps stewing. Wow, that was a, that was a cooking reference. I kind of brought it around, didn't I? Yeah, accidental. Anyway. And a little clunky. So I hope you got a lot of I hope you got a lot out of this conversation with Greg. And what do we have next episode? I don't know. I don't know. A little behind. Don't even have a guest lined up for next episode. So I'll learn about it about the same time that you do. Hope you subscribe. Hope you listen. Hope you talk about this podcast on your socials because that's what helps grow a podcast. If you liked it or hated it, I know audio quality, a little tough. We had a little uh, little audio hiccup, but that makes it kind of sound more genuine, more 80s sounding, right? Remember when people used to do interviews over the phone or like from the prison cell and the quality kind of sucked? This is kind of like a prison cell conversation. Yeah, we'll just call it that. Anyway, love you a bunch. Stay nice, everyone. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could lend a helping hand. If you wanted to be nicer, then you could see your neighbor's band.
If you wanted to be nicer, then you could put away your clothes. If you wanted to be nicer, you can teach everything you know. So what? Big deal.